Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I've got a new beer, guys. You're joking, aren't you? Eh? You've got a new beer? Elliot's got a new beer. What's it like? Great. I got eight free beers from our friends at Beer 52 and an extra two for being a Borough Breakdown listener. I don't believe you. No, I'm serious. They're the world's largest craft beer club with beers from all over the world. You're joining the monthly club but can cancel at any time. All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash borough to get your free case now with a four ninety five postage. What? So all you have to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash borough and get a free case and only pay for the packaging. Yeah, that's it, mate. Want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Welcome back to the Borough Breakdown podcast. Whether you listen to us on Red Army Radio or on the podcast apps, a very warm welcome. My name's Ronnie. I'm not with Dana or Elliot this week, but I do have a guest. Um, it was a former Borough left back um, in the years of 96 to just into the millennium. Um, and he's also now remembered for, well, breaking many records in Welsh football with TNS as the manager. Um, his time at Hartlepool, but also at now more recently Connors Key. It's Mr. Craig Harrison. Craig, thank you very much for joining us, mate. Hi, John. No problem. Not at all. Look forward to it. Yeah, so, Craig, this whole podcast is about you. Um, I want to start from your early career, your playing career, the injuries, moving into management, what you're doing now as well. Um, I want to start from right at the beginning. I want to start from when you were growing up. You were born in Gateshead. Um, How did you actually get into football? Um, And how many teams did you play for before you got signed up by Millsborough? Well, it was, um, it was, uh, I played for a, a local team that me dad and uncle run to start with called Carhill Boys Club, but not Boys Club, Carhill, you know, it was we only had one team. I think it was under 12s at the time. And uh, we played in Gateshead. And then I moved on from then to, um, had a short spell at Cleveland Boys Club, which is mm. quite a renowned one. Then I moved on from then at about 13, 14 to Redruth Boys Club, where it was, um, uh, Paul Gascoigne, um, Neil Aspen, Don Hutchinson, you know, to just to name a few, were, were lads who had come through the the system, if you like, at the boys' club. You know, it was um, it was an old school building with a, a concrete yard, and it was um, just it, it was I just loved it. Every night it was probably about half an hour walk from my house. You know, there'd be 
There'd be people there every night playing football in the hall with sponge balls, table tennis, uh, snooker pool, um, playing five-a-side in the, in the yard that had a grass pitch up on the top. It was just, you know, it was just everything I, I loved about, about being young, really. You know, that, that sort of just all ages, all abilities, just all coming together and having to kick about in, in, in a safe environment. Mm. When when you were growing up and you were playing that safe environment, did you know that you were you were going to make it? Did you have some in the back of your mind? Do you think I'm going to make it as a professional footballer? Were you better than the, the people around you? Uh, not not really. No, I was I was quite a late developer to be honest. I was um you know I didn't actually actually come in insane for Middlesbrough until I was 15. You know where you see a lot of players come through the system, being through the academy, being there since nine, ten, eleven, twelve, all the way up. You know schoolboys and it was it was only till till right the last sort of the last year or so that that I'd played a couple of times. Dave Geddes was actually the um, the manager of the, the youth team at the time, and he used to take some um, skip uh, centre excellence on a Friday night at Emmanuel College in Gateshead, and I attended a few of them. And I only played a handful of games where there was other players in my team. We had a really good team at the time, and there was other players that were going to places like Chelsea. Notts County, Sunderland, Newcastle, you know, and it was a bit, I wouldn't say, I let, I wouldn't say it got to us, but, you know, I, I actually believed, you know, I was always going to be good enough. But I think um, if you look at stats wise, you tend to find the ones that come late have more of a, more of a career than what the early ones are. How many, how many lads do you see that are the, the next best thing at 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, then that actually, you know, they, they don't even make a professional appearance so you know fortunately like I said I, I was a late developer and I you know I was I was very close to signing for Dalton before I signed for for Middlesbrough to be honest I was probably a couple of weeks away and then um, Ron Bourne and Peter Kirkley got in touch and and then the rest is history and I, I went in as a as a YTS which you know which I still quite yeah. quite vocal about saying even though I was fortunate to play in the Premier League with Middlesbrough I was fortunate to play uh, quite a few games in the championship with Millsborough and Crystal Palace. I still say that two years of being a YTS apprentice were the best two years of my football life. Why? Why were they the best two years? It was just you know yeah you had you know it was it was made up then of, of first years and second year YTS where you left school you went straight in there. You know it was if you if you break if you, if I explained it to you now you'd think I was crazy and I think all the lads you know I had I travelled my first year well first six months. I used to travel from Gates at the Middlesbrough. I used to take two hours on a bus and I had to be in for nine o'clock. So I used to leave the house at half six. Didn't get home at half seven, eight o'clock at night. During the day, you'd have to clean boots, clean bathrooms, clean toilets, clean sinks, mop floors, sweep floors, sweep stands, put goals up, take goals down, wash kit. Basically, you're just a cleaner, really. Mm. Uh, but the, the groups of lads were hard. It was just, it was just brilliant. Yeah, no worries. You, you know, everyone was in an environment where everyone thought, right, we're going to be professional footballers. We're working from the old Ayrson Park then. We're based then, and going back and forth to Torsby Road, hmm. which it, it's a lot before your time. That is, so yeah. it was, you know, even to the point of going to Torsby Road, and you know, and, and it was having to put goals up in the freezing cold, metal goals and nets up before the first team come. You know, then waiting about once they've finished, then taking them down and, you know, and then waiting for the first team to have their lunch, then going in and having our lunch. It used to be soup and sandwiches or a jack of potato and cheese and beans. You know, it was, it was just the, the whole 
authenticity of it was just fantastic. You had probably between 12 and 18 at any one time, between 16 and 18 years of age, just all together, having a laugh, living the dream in, in just... And just every day was a different adventure. I used to, you know, the amount of the amount of fun and, and laughs I had between them between them lads were, were you know, were just it would it was definitely the best two years of my playing career in a different way. <laughs> how how times have changed now from from what you were saying where putting goals up, cleaning boots. This doesn't happen now. So do you think? you should maybe bring that back to an extent for younger players now, or do you think they should keep things as they are now, be very professional from like 16 upwards? Yeah, I don't think it's done any harm, to be honest. You know, football's a different animal now. It's a completely different environment, we know that. You know, and some of the things I've seen and some of the things that went on, you know, were wrong even from that era. Yeah. Never mind this era, he'd be put in prison for it now. So, no, that, you know, it, it was... But I think... Not wanting to sound like I'm an old man or, or <laughs> football's better then or whatever, because I don't think it is. I think the professionalism, the fitness, the the um, the dedication now in the rewards are fantastic. But I, I do think you know you, it was a different. You we talked earlier off screen about you know different scenarios that happened in my life, and I've had four or five, well three or four big ones that that have shaped my life, and I do think. That, that struggle is a is a YTS in basically on a daily basis, for want of a better word, getting bullied by senior pros, by your second year YTSs, by whoever it might be, coaches. It, it was you know it, it made me what I was in in, in a, a very resolute person, you know, and it made me someone that if I hadn't went on out of a football career, I probably could have dealt with it better because. The, the ups and downs of the two years the YTS I had. Yeah, what you're saying there, I think when when you are at YTS or like a scholar, it's it's the aspect of you have to be toughened up because the game was a lot different then. I think it was a lot more physical. Um, you see the likes of Roy Keane smashing defenders apart, and you know it was a real. The game was completely different to what it is now. Yeah. Um, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head where it is a character building. And when I was saying, should we potentially bring some of that back? Is is Maybe we, maybe it might help younger players develop and, and gain more of a mental strength, if 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 yeah. that's probably the right word to say. Um, but when any, you... any top athlete needs to have, you know, be resolute. Yeah. You know, they, they need to have resilience, and I think that was probably one thing that used to teach me. You know, that resilience of of everything. You know, mm. it, it was you were fighting against you, the person for a contract, but then again, your best friends. You know, you're doing long days, you're doing manual labour, if you like, you know, and and it just seemed then, which which wasn't right, you know, you look at it now and they talk about contact times and touches on the ball and, you know, and you know how many hours it makes to, to, to be a, an elite athlete and, and practice makes perfect and practice and all the rest of it. All them quotes that you might get, you know, we certainly seen at that time was that probably football was second <laughs> to making sure the first team had everything they needed. Yeah. And, okay. and is, is that right? Is it wrong? You know, it's probably wrong mm. now. But still, you know, that didn't, you know, I still played with some fantastic players. And you can reel the players off who come through the system, 
you know, you know, there was there was a lot of players. You know, my age group there was only I think me and Mickey Cummins that come through. But the ones below me, Andy Campbell, Robbie Stockdale, the one above me, Mark Somerville, you know, Anthony Ormrod below me. So you know, Steve Baker below me. You know, and they all come through. That you know, Ben Roberts a couple of years older, Mickey Barron a couple of years older. They they all come through the system of, of that's the way it was. You know, and, and it, it didn't do any of them any harm. And, and I think even more so now, because I think what what, what happens now is, is, is it, it's even harder to be a Premier League footballer than it's ever been. So you tend to see that a lot of players drop down Championship, League One, League Two, even National League, even National League North and South. And the, the National League down, you'd be well more well-equipped by going through YTS and going through that. Because it's not the glamour of the Premier League, it's not the glamour of the Championship. You know, it is. You know, a lot of the a lot of the National League, National League North and South and down is roll your sleeves up. You go to some horrible grounds, you go to some horrible changing rooms, and you get on with it. You know, so it, it, if anything, you, you, the irony of it is that now it's harder to be a Premier League footballer, but kids are treated like Premier League footballers from fourteen and fifteen. Mm. And the percentage is that minute that they're not going to be there. So yeah. be better equipped by doing the YDS now to, to for, for lower league football. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I pretty much agree. I agree with pretty much every, everything you're saying. And I think with when we when we chat about the Premier League and players coming through and people making the debuts in the Premier League, you have to wait a couple of years for your debut, essentially. Um, what was it like to actually make your debut? How did you How do you know... You were getting your debut, and how did you mentally prepare yourself for that? Yeah, it was um, obviously it's something that you dream of, isn't it? You know, I'd I'd, I'd been involved with the reserves in in the reserves. You know, going back again, the reserves was a lot different then to what it is mm. now. You know, it was almost an unwritten rule that if you didn't play on the Saturday for the first team, you're going to play in the reserves on a Wednesday night. Uh, you know, and, and there the were and that was every team in the league. You know, I remember playing against some top top players in the reserves. And you know, and that included everybody. So the reserve team football was a lot tougher then, which prepared you more so for for first team football. And I remember probably I was I think it was the back end of me my first year YTS where I used to jump in and out of mm. training sessions with the first team. And the same sort of happened in my second year. And then the my first year pro um I started with the first team pre-season training. And then from from then on, really, I was involved in some way, shape or form, whether that was training, whether that was going away on uh, training camps pre-season, whether that was travelling with the squad and being the odd one out to help the kit man with the kit or, or whatever it may be. You know, and that happened from about 17 and a half, 18 onwards until I made my debut at Barnet away. Barnet away. In the Coca-Cola Cup. In the Coca-Cola Cup. Um, to be fair, you did play a part in, in, in that journey, but then also you, you did play a few games. And then you were left out of the final yeah. for that time. What did Robson say to you to say he's essentially leaving you out? And how did that reflect on you? I think we'll, we'll look at it and we'll talk about how football's changed now. And, and, mm. and, you know, back then, you know, if Brian Robson had said to me, go and stand in that corner and face the wall and I'll tell you when to come and speak to me or join in, I would have done it for any length of time I had to do it for. Mm. You know, football's different now. You know, you've got, everyone wants to know why. You know, yeah. you get coaching, you're coaching younger kids, you're coaching, because they've come from a, most most players now have been in an academy background, so they'll get the best of everything. 
So they want to know why they're doing things, which I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I think I think it's actually right, you know, to a certain extent. You know, what what's the problem in in having a dialogue, a conversation about about tactics, about how you want to do things, why you want to do things, you know, and, and explain yourself. But back then, that wasn't really the done thing. It was, you know, you accepted it. I think I played a part in every every game running up, apart from I think I was an unused sub in the, in the Liverpool semi final. Mm. On both, I think in both legs. So I played a part in every every single round going through, and obviously I was disappointed. But Vladimir Kinder come back in; he was experienced. Did mm. um, um, the manager at the time, Brian Robson, it, it obviously went with the youth early on, which was quite a trend, wasn't it? With Coca Cola yeah. Cup and League Cup, you know, and we'd done all right and we, we got through, and you know, and, and in the end, he decided that that was going to be his strongest team with it, with experience, and he went with it. And you know, I think at the time. I was, I think I was nineteen, twenty, and you, you look at it and you, you, you feel like, oh well, you know, I'm, I'm a professional footballer, you know, I'm going to get another opportunity. So, so what's the big deal? I get on with it. I think in, 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 you don't realise until after, until you get older, that the, the realism of playing at Wembley in a cup final only comes around every now and then. Yeah, well, it's, it's very rare, especially when you're a Middlesbrough fan as well. Obviously, we went through those glory days, um, yeah. between, well, say the glory days of the nineties, um, even though it was promotions relegations it was just like i feel like a party atmosphere yeah. what was it like working under brian robson as, as a as a player um there's a lot of a lot being said about brian robson some say he's great some say that he wasn't really as professional what he could have been um what was it like to work under him you know for me he was um he was an icon growing up he was a hero growing up you know him and paul gascoigne were probably you know the two you know um, brian robson was a little bit older but, but Paul Gascoigne and then obviously Brian Robson, especially as well, I think both of them come from the northeast as well, you know, and both being, you know, right up there in the top five or ten ever, ever English players. You know, you look at it and he, it, like I said earlier, he could have he could have taught me anything. And I would have done it, you know, and I would have run through a brick wall from, you know, and that and that alone is a known now as a manager is a special quality to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you see the likes of Brian, uh, of Sir Alex Ferguson, you hear about Pep Guardiola, Marcelo yeah. Bielsa as well at Leeds at the minute, who who is obviously tipped to be one of the the greatest managers of all time, according to Pep and Poch as well. Um, do you, I'm going to come on to this a little bit later on um, and chat about TNS and um, when you manage, but obviously in the years of '96 to the millennium, um, what was the culture like at Middlesbrough under Brian Robson? Because we had so many ups and downs, ins yeah. and outs. Had some wonderful players there. You can reel them off like Ravinelli, Emerson, Janino, Fiotov, Swartzer, etc. Yeah. Um, what was it like to be in and around that team, and what was the culture like? I think the bigger, the best thing was it was exciting. You yeah. know, to be, to be, you know, you talk about all these big names, but then you know the all the all the young players that come through at that time. Obviously, Millsbrad is the best. Uh, you know, I think long term at bringing players through. You know, mm-hmm. for me, you look at all the players that have come through before me, all the players after me that have played first team football or they've went on to have some sort of career. I don't think there's many clubs out there that are better than what they than what they produced over the years. You know, and I, and I think that's well renowned through the football fraternity. So I think you know, but at that time, when you look at the big names that come in to to also for you know for Brian Robson to then play quite a few of the younger boys. You know, you look at them, there's myself, there's Andy Campbell, there's Anthony Ormrod, Stephen Baker, Mark Summerbell, 
Ben Roberts played a big part. I'm just trying to think. Robbie Stockdale, you know, and, that, and that's just the ones just that I can reel off the top of my head that are that that are within a year or two of myself all played some part in a championship or Premier League teams. In mm. when you when you're talking about mixing that alongside Ravenelli, Janino, Emerson, Paul Merson, by the way, was as good as any. Uh, Paul Gascoigne, Paul Ince, mm. um, you know, Christian Ziga. All yeah. these players that have come from, you know, obviously we brought, we got Mark Schwarzer from Bradford, but Mark's the best goalkeeper Millsworth's ever had, you know, and, and and you can just reel them on and on and on, and you know, all international players. That then I think the the special bit about it was that, you know, the the, the younger players, um, the manager still kept that production line of young players coming through, hmm. which was which was an unbelievable achievement because. You know, it's it was it's quite easy to go right. Okay, we've got X amount of money now. We are bringing the best in from over the world, not Europe. Um, thank you very much, boys. But you're going to be supporting that. But you know, there's many of them lads played 50 games plus. Yeah. Why do you think Middlesbrough are successful in bringing young players through? Uh, I think I think one of the big things was the, you know, and I, I don't know I don't know if this is a strategy or, or if, it, if it's a plan, but I think. They, they try to keep everything local, I think. Mm. Try to work within a... You know, it was very rare that they brought players in from outside the area. I remember, apart from Ireland, they got a good connection with with Ireland. You know, the, the likes of Keith... Um, uh, Keith or Halloran. Yeah. Um, Graham Kavner. Uh, Paddy Lee was coming in that time. There's, there's lots of boys that come in from Ireland in, in um, West Burn. That come in, in there's a real good connection with it with with Ireland, and and then the rest of it was all probably within 20, 30, 40 miles of of, of actually Middlesbrough. You know the northeast was their hub. You know you know there wasn't. I can't remember. I remember one. I think it was um, Marinelli. Yeah. Enzo Marinelli come in, uh, but he was the he was I think he was the first one that come in from out like a foreign player as a young player and come in with a youth team stroke reserve team stroke under 23s whatever it was at that time you know everyone else was all within a with, within the northeast area and island and i think that 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 they saturated that area and got the best players from the area mm. well, that's fair is, is there anything like coaching wise where you think that Middlesbrough have like an edge on for bringing young players through or is it just think, part of we're giving them a chance yeah I, ju- I just think one one of the best things was that you, you could always see and you had hope that you were going to be given the opportunity then it was up to you whether you're going to be good enough yes they had fantastic coaches the other thing as well as I think was a good one that they had they had quite a few players that had played for Middlesbrough and, mm-hmm. and knew what it was like you know I remember Mark Proctor being in the in the in the coaching system moving through with Dave Parnaby you know Dave and Dave and Mark were a bit before my a bit after my time you know it was Dave Geddes was my youth team coach you know but it was um I, th- I think the biggest thing is is knowing that if you're good enough you get an opportunity to prove yourself, you know, because mm. we all know now, you know, that high-level sport is a lot in your head, you know, yeah. and if you think you're not going to get opportunity before you even get to 15, 16, 17, then you know you're halfway, you're defeated in the first place. But if you can see someone year on year getting that opportunity, that production line keep going and keep going. It's amazing how that 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 um, that focuses the mind of young players and, and says, "Well, what's the reason why it can't be me next?" Yeah, 
I think when you come when you're coming through, you've got to be relentless and have that self belief. When you're going through the ranks and you're uh, obviously a scholar and you've you've played with some of the, the greatest players like like you mentioned like Merce and Gascoigne, yeah. did any of them give you any piece of advice which is you've always kept um, throughout your playing career and through management? Not not one piece of advice. No, I think every you know the other good thing about it is all 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 the lads as much as it was old school were, were really good with the younger players coming through. You know, there's some massive characters in that dressing room. You know, you talk about the British ones to start with. You talk about Andy Townsend, talk about Nigel Pearson, talk about Paul Gascoigne. You know, people like that, um, Clayton Blackmore, Neil Cox, you know, Craig Hignett, John Henry. You know, all these were big, big characters coming through at the time, for for me coming through at the time. And it was, um, it it was, they were just very, you know, they were very harsh. Yeah. until, Until... you played a first team game or you trained with the first team and then it was, you know, then they looked after you like you're one of their own. You know, and I think that's just like we talked about, it was a, the, the past generation and that that's the way it was. You know, it was right, we'll keep your feet on the ground until you've until you've been involved or you've played in the first team, you know, and and then after that you were you're classed as one of them and you know, until until you got a little bit chirpy, then if you got too chirpy, then you're knocked down again. You know, but but that was it was just the the law of the jungle, if you like, in a, in a first-team dressing room. You know, even going back to what we were saying earlier, you know, I, I remember as a 16, 17-year-old having to knock and not be allowed in a first-team dressing room. If the door was shut, you had to knock and ask if you could come in. Yeah. You know, you can you just imagine that now, you know, the way the way culture is now. It's just, it, it was just different. And, you know, people were different then as they are now. But I had some fantastic professionals you know, that, that to look up to, you know, a lot of unsung, you know, players like Steve Vickers as well, Robbie Musto, you know, J- Jamie Pollock, Graham Kavanagh, all them players, you know, are just really, really good, good, honest players and good, honest pros. Mm. Curtis Fleming was one one that was a, was a real big help to me because I also played at Palace with Curtis as well after. Yeah, I'll I'll come on to that in in a second. But when you were mentioning Pearson and, and Coxie there, the both went into management to an extent. Um, Cox probably not as as successful as say Nigel Pearson is. But did you yeah. know? Did you know that they would go into management when you were playing playing football with them? Well, I think um, I think Nigel Pearson definitely. Yeah, you know, he, yeah. he was he was as good a leader, you know, as I've seen. You know, he was a, he was a real. Um, he he was he was hard as nails. He was very underrated as a player. He was a great captain. He was a great leader. You know, and there was no coincidence that. You know, Middlesbrough were better with him in the team than when they weren't. Yeah. Okay. So before before you go on to your loan spells, you you started making making your way through the team. You were getting some games in your belt. You had a burst appendix and you're out for about a year. Yeah. You're, you're coming back. Zig is in your place. Yeah. How was that? How was that for you mentally? Because you you're slowly breaking through, and then it feels like there's a bit of like a block in your way. So how would you how would you overcome that? Yeah, it was you know as as a young lad, it was um, it was tough because you look at it at the time and in there was um, Christian Ziga, who I think had just signed from AC Milan, um, uh, Dean Gordon, who come yeah. from Crystal Palace, and Keith O'Neill, I think, come from Norwich. You know that that Keith was never a left back, but he could play left back. Yeah, and, and Dean Dino was more of a wing back than what he was a left back. But you know it was fantastic to have these players and and, and learn from them, but. By that time, I'd, I'd played, I think, 20-odd games, if not more, in, in the first team through the Championship and, and played a handful of games in the Premier League as well. And um, I think it was just, 
I'd made a decision then that uh, so, um, it was it was actually it was um, Dave Geddes who, who I'm still good friends with now. Um, Dave Geddes said to me, "He's a young player. You're talking about taking one thing away with you." And Dave said, as a youth team coach, um, something he always done and something that I took it took in mind was that you're a footballer to play football. You're not a footballer to sit on the bench. You're not a footballer to 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 finish your end of your career at 35 and played a handful of games because you've been quite happy to sit on the bench. You know, and and it was something that I'd had a taste for it. I played in front of big crowds. I played in front with big players. I played in the Premier League, and it was something that I was just, you know, I just got a bit of itchy feet and just thought, right, well, you know, if I'm not going to play at Middlesbrough, I'm going to go and play for somewhere where I'm going to play. Which, you know, whether I was right or wrong at 19, 20 year old, I, I, you know, not that I was any better than anyone. It's just I didn't want, I didn't want to have a career where I hadn't been a footballer, if you know what I mean, and play mm. games. Yeah, I don't think you were wrong when you see the likes of Jaden Sancho now and some of the yeah. younger English players go on abroad to play in in, in different countries. It, it does work. Um, yeah. I feel like when you are at that age, you need to have the crowd around you. I think when you do watch, say, the under-23s now, the 17s, 18s, it's completely different to what first team is. The jump seems to be really high and, and some, I think that's probably why people struggle. Yeah. Um, when you were saying that you want to go out and play football, you had loan spells, obviously, at Preston North End and David Moyes. Yeah. Um, and then you've also went and signed for Palace as well. And I think it's, it was Alan Smith. Alan Smith was the one, yeah, on loan. And then, yeah. And then he's yeah, so, yeah. How did those loan spells help you improve um, before? Obviously, you've, let's chat about Preston first. David Moyes, he's, yeah. he, he was Manchester United manager. He did unbelievable things at Everton as well. He, it's sometimes I feel like his record now is a little bit hindered from what he's done. That's uh, obviously at Sunderland. But what was it like working under him? Was it was a was it a good experience? Yeah, it was fantastic for me. As a, as a, as a footballer, it was fantastic. You know, really was. I think he played a huge part in my development regarding. Um, obviously, he was a little bit different than Brian Robson. Brian Robson was Brian Robson. Much saying, you know, David Moyes had a good career himself. Mm. You know, playing for Celtic and so on and so forth. But you know, he wasn't as high profile as what Brian Robson was. Um, Brian Robson was obviously could attract players. You know, you and all Brian Robson, he, he brought a lot of very good players to the Riverside Stadium and the Teesside area. Um, didn't do an awful lot of coaching, you know, had other people do the coaching, you know, but obviously was hugely, hugely knowledgeable about football, you know, a football icon. Where David Moyes and and obviously coming out of the being in League Two at the time when I went to Preston, mm. it was um there was a lot emphasis on teamwork, coaching. Getting the hours in on the coaching pitch, working as a back four. You know, every every afternoon, you know, David would have the back four out, which included myself and mm-hmm. the big six or seven of them and two goalkeepers. And it'd just be it'd be half an hour every day of doing back four drills, getting your distances, getting your starting positions, getting your recovery runs right. And it was something that certainly for me hadn't been so prominent in my Middlesbrough career because normally we had the better players. Yeah. You know, certainly in the championship we had the better players and, and, and arguably in the Premier League we had the better players. You know, but it just didn't go, it just didn't it just didn't happen. But it was something that David Moyes was um a, a lot more regimented about this is how he wanted his team to be organized. This is how we want his team to set up in the back four were pivotal. Obviously David was a centre half in um it was uh, it was completely different not to say culture 
But I think that obviously had something to do with the, the league they were in, the budget they had, you know, the players that were there, you know, and obviously David thought he had to work more with the resources he had because he didn't have as big of resources as what Middlesbrough, because at the time when I went to Preston, I think, I don't, I'm not too sure, I think Middlesbrough in the Premier League, yeah, because when I got called back, I went and played against Blackburn in the Premier League as well. So, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was, um, they didn't have the, Hillworth Park, they didn't have the Riverside Stadium, but they had a great, deep there was a great, a great stadium to play in front of, and, and you know, but it was, it was more of a, I'm, I'm trying to authentic if you like, yeah. Um, fo- football, football background, football, football setting is is what the Riverside was or, or Hurworth was because at that time it was like God, you know. I bet he, I bet the supporters of Millsborough didn't know what was going on, you know. Mm. All the players coming in and spending millions and you know and in having one of the best stadiums, having the best training ground. You know, and, and, and I really enjoyed my time with Preston because it was. Um, I learned a lot from David, certainly on defensive side. Yeah, and there was a few things that you mentioned there, like regarding regarding like teamwork. Millsborough had the better players. Yeah. What when when you look at that time at Millsborough from like the '96 to the, the millennium, really? What what did Middlesbrough lack to be a really top top team? Because when even though we got deducted three points at the time and got relegated, we would have probably finished about 13th, 14th. Yeah. In that year, if, if that wasn't to happen, what did Millsborough lack to be towards like the big, the top of the table? Really, what 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 did you think we missed? Was it that teamwork element? Was it the the aspect of missing a couple of two quality players? What was it? Yeah, possibly. You know, you look at it and the the, the, the teamwork. Possibly, you know, the the it was so exciting bringing these players in, like Janino, mm-hmm. Emerson, Ravinelli. I think um, in all the other players like Curtis Fleming, Nigel Pearson, Ruby Musto. You know, what were players that were needed, solid. Craig Hignett, you know, play anywhere across the attack. And it was, I'm not, I don't know, looking back, I think it might have just been a little bit of a, a unbalance. And mm. it, it, it was hard to put your finger on because we had good enough players. You know, we had a, we had a fantastic manager, we had fantastic coaches, you know, we had, a, we had the, the Riverside was packed every week. Mm. And, which obviously isn't happening these days. Um, but I don't know. It'd be hard to put your finger on. I, I, I don't know. I, I just think if if that year that we had got relegated, I think if we had had another year in the Premier League, then I think things would have been a lot different. I think it was just people coming together, you know, not having so big a turnover of players, you know, getting promoted, bringing players in, getting relegated, players leaving, getting promoted, bringing players in. You know, obviously you need to strengthen your squad when you get promoted, but I, I don't know. I think it was just a little bit, of not quite the right balance and in a little bit of um, uh, cohesion of of having a, a squad or a team that worked together for three or four seasons. If we had a kept in the Premier League for two or three years, I think there would have it would have been a it would have went strength for strength. There would have been a team that that would have stayed in the Premier League for a long, long time. Mm. So closing the door on Middlesbrough, you you moved to Crystal Palace after the, the loan spell there. Um, how did that move come about, and was Crystal Palace your first choice for a move? Yeah, well, I, I you know I come back that summer after having my appendix. I went, um, you know, it's not really not really well documented, but I, I come back and it was out of season, so yeah. I went to Sweden. Okay. 
in were trained in Sweden and played some games for a team called um, Elfsborg because they were in season in the summer season and because obviously the time I missed with my, my appendix so I, I missed I missed it I didn't have a break that year and then I come back pre-season and I started pre-season and I got all the way through pre-season and like we referred to earlier you know the Christian Zegers, the Dean Gordons, the the, the Keith O'Neills of the world were were all there, and, and I just I just decided that, you know, I, I think I was only a year into a new five year contract when I when I decided, and I just thought after having the after missing a year of playing, after having to go back to reserve team football, not that I'm saying I was too good for that, just the mm-hmm. feeling you get in front of five six hundred people where you're you're twenty twenty five thirty thousand people, um, I just thought. Uh, I'm gonna. The least I'm gonna do is, is say, you know, start the season. I'd, I'd like to go out on loan. So I went to see um, the manager and, and just said to him, "Look, um, I understand. You know, I'm not complaining. You know, these players are top players. I'm a young lad. Um, can I go out on loan? You know, and in, in at the time he said yes, and it, which was great. And, and Crystal Palace were one of the teams. I think Burnley were one of the teams at the time as well. That. I chose between and, and going back to Preston as well was another opportunity because I think Preston being promoted in between to League One. Um, but it was, um, I chose to go to Crystal Palace and, you know, it was, I think it was just as much as anything. I was going to play first team football and also, you know, it was nice to have a break to come from one end of the country to the other. You know, I'd never spent any time in London and it was, and it was a, it was a cultural difference as well as, as well as anything else, you know. Uh, I thought the M25 before I went to London was just a, a little road, but I remember getting on the M25, getting directions and thinking, wow, this thing never ends. I thought I'd be on it 15, 20 minutes, and now and a half, two hours late, I was still on the M25. So, you know, it was, um, you know, it, it was it, it was just, a, it was the right move for me. I needed I needed to play football in, in originally going out on loan was, was, what I, was what I wanted. That's what I had planned all along. But I think um, getting the bug again, and playing every week, you know, and the Palace fans are, 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 are good supporters and, you know, the 17, 18, 19, 20,000 fans there every week. It's a, it's a nice old-fashioned tight ground and, and I, I really enjoyed it and, and they wanted to take me permanently, you know, and, and um, the manager at the time didn't want me to go. You know, he'd said I would be involved with squads, I'd be, um, be involved in cup games, I'd be involved, you know, I'd be sort of second or third choice, I'd be training with the first team, you know, bearing in mind we were in the Premier League at the time. Um, and I just decided that I, I didn't really want that. 2021, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to go and play. I'd, I'd, I'd um, tasted first team football again and, and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, there's, no, there's nothing worse for a footballer. There's two things that you can't stand as a footballer. One worse is being injured. And, and second is, is playing and training all week to prepare for a weekend and not playing games. Mm. You were saying that obviously the one thing that you hate uh, about being a footballer is being injured, um, and the injuries that you've had are—it's the, the the way that your career ended um, is sad. And obviously, in two thousand two, you had that career-ending injury, the double compound injury. Yeah. Did you know at that time that that was it? No, no, I didn't. Um, no, I think the the time. So if we if we go through the timeline, it was a reserve game, which was which. Was more disappointing than anything. We, um, I'd just come back from injury. We'd uh, been playing Newcastle in the FA Cup. I think it was round the December, back end December. Is that third round, fourth round? I can't remember. It was Crystal Palace when I was at Palace playing, in, and I was in the squad. I was sub. I was unused sub. 
at St. Mm. James Park, which is quite ironic, really, considering it's the closest ground to me growing up as a kid. That was the last competitive first team game I was involved with. Um, I was unused sub, and um, I asked the manager if I could play in the reserves midweek. So I was get fit, I had to, to get myself the opportunity to, to get back in the team as quick as I could. So, you know, then we played Redden in the reserve game midweek and, and, and how it unfolded was uh, we're playing in a, well, it was a, it was a young team. Um, they, they had a player. I don't know, I still don't know who it was, not really interested, but um, it, it going around smashing a few of our younger players. I wasn't having it. I'd smashed him as being a senior player and we probably hurt each other and then they come about again. There was a 50-50 challenge where I think we're both, and, and I'm, I'm quite at peace with it now. It could have been me, it could have been him, hundredth of a second, and you know I went over the top on him. He went over the top on me, and in you know it ended up being me. And it was just one of them things, you know. But you sort of, it was quite surreal, really. Going in for the tackle, I've heard a, a real like smash. Thought it was my shin pad. Sitting down on the floor, looking. Put my hands on the floor, then then lifted my ankle up, and my ankle was just like swaying in the wind, and then there was blood quite coming quite a lot through the sock, mm-hmm. and um, and it wasn't obviously my shin pad, my shin pad it was my tibia and tibia, and in in both had come through the skin, one through the front, one through the side, so it was it was quite horrific at the time, but it was a strange feeling because I didn't really feel a pain. It's obviously your body looking after yourself, shock or adrenaline or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. And, you know, and, and the, the main thing I remember is the reaction of the other players. You know, <laughs> some of them were being sick, some of them were squealing, some of them were like, oh, you know, it was, it was very, I remember that very clearly now, you know, and then, um, and I wasn't at the time making such a fuss about it. It was, you know, it was just one of them things. And then the, the physio come on and, you know, and she she knew straight away what it was. She was fantastic, and Claire looked after it. She got myself in a brace and phoned the ambulance. The ambulance came quite quickly. And the other the other thing, the strange thing about it is, moved me on the stretcher off the side of the pitch, and getting in the ambulance. Claire, the physio, had said, "Look, he's got a compound fracture, and um, he needs to get to hospital as quick as possible." And because I wasn't making such a fuss about it, the oh, sure. um, the ambulance driver, the paramedic, was like. Are you really sure? Is it sure it's not just a gash because there's a lot of blood? And um, unraveled it, and then obviously to his horror, yeah. oh yes, goodness me, quick, we need to get to, to hospital as quick as possible. And I think that was going off my reaction because obviously my body had just looked after, shut down and probably just looked after itself, mm-hmm. you know. And then it was um, got to hospital, um, then it was seen a specialist, and within three or four hours, I was having a, a major operation. You know, and I think the big, it was probably about an hour before the operation that the pain kicked in and it was like a pain like you would never believe. It was, um, I think I waited two or three hours for the operation, even though I was full of morphine and all sorts of gas and air and painkillers. The, the pain was horrific. It was it was just unbelievable. You know, it was something, it was like, a, it, was, it wasn't to the point of crying. It was that horrific. That was eye watering. It was, um, it was a bad one, to be fair. You know, then went and had, had the operation um rehab afterwards probably rehabbing four to five months maybe um mm-hmm. i think it got into me six months and i just start jogging you know the rehab mentally was was tough getting in first thing in the morning right way through the afternoon two or three sessions a day 
you know, physio, swimming, um, bike work, all the, the, the non-weight-bearing stuff. And I got six months into it, maybe seven months, and it was, um, I could feel it. I, I was jogging. I was getting about 10, 12 minutes, just a light jog. And there was a real, real bad burning pain sensation on the front of my shin. And I kept going for about a month. I was like, nah, this isn't right. It can't be, it can't be right. So uh, me and the physio went to second opinion in um, in in London and um, it, it found out that I'd actually, the the main bone, which I'm not 100% sure, is it tibia or fibia, whichever one, the, the weight-bearing bone, hadn't actually healed. The, okay. small, the small one on the side had healed. And so it was the small one, which isn't a weight-bearing one, and the metal rod, was was taking all my weight and basically for for uh, long story short i was running still with a broken leg so that was the pain for some reason somehow i don't know how but the surgeon you know because it was an emergency i'd went straight to a, a nhs hospital and it needed to be done where i think if that had been a if that had been a planned operation it would have been a private operation or like a cruciate or something like that mm. you know then it would have been a private hospital but i'm not saying that was the, the reason why but then we went to see another guy um, and he basically said then, you know, you basically need the whole operation doing again and you need a bone graft and you need a thicker metal rod, you know. So I think it was then, eight months into rehab, that I was like, nah, I just caught, you know. I think mentally I just thought this is, I think that was that was it. I think it was eight, nine months into it. And I had a, a month then of, of rehab of building my quads, hamstring up, um, and going back to being on crutches because I had to be non-weight bearing, but building up the muscles around it. And I think it was on the 10 month mark, I went in for a second operation, which, you know, basically, you know, I had a bone graft from my hip to try and make it heal better. They broke the bone again, rehealed it, took an inch gap out of it to make sure it wouldn't heal before the other one. Put a, a stronger metal rod through it um, and in between that as well which a couple of complications went because I'd been running on a on a broken leg some of the screws had, had, had broke off and not embedded in my um, muscle fat whatever it was it was just they broke off and not inside and in the, in the and I just needed like I said it was just a mess it was a complete mess and I needed everything doing again you know but it was actually a big operation than what the first one was. So I think maybe answering the, answering your question from the start with, if I had got the rehab right in the first place, then it might have been, I might have got back, but I had to start the whole process off again. And I, and I went probably a year or so with that. And because it was an open fracture, then actually what, in the end, it wasn't the fracture that, that, that probably, that finished my career. It was the, because it was open fracture, I'd severed the tendon running from your big toe to your knee. So the, the soft tissue and the ligament damage were, was unrepairable. It just yeah. wasn't, you know, I'd probably lost the flexion and the power in my left ankle by 30, 35%. Yeah. And I'd rehabbed, I kept going, I'd got into like non-contact. I'd, I was up and running, I was running, I was, um, but I just, I just couldn't get that final hurdle of joining in contact sport and, and being able to push off my left leg to that level and it was um in in the you know it, it was obviously it was disappointing that, you know and yeah i can remember like it was um yesterday as well going in to see the surgeon again after all this time 
I think it was just it was just a routine checkup. I think it was a year afterwards, and then we had an open office conversation. He he sort of examined it again, went through a few things, and then um, he just said, "Give us half an hour, Craig. I'll just have a look at the scans, have a look at this, have a look at that, have a have a conversation with my colleague." Um, we'll grab you a cup of tea or coffee, give us half an hour and we'll have a conversation, we'll come back in. And when we come back in and, you know, he said the inevitable words that, look, Craig, in my opinion, I don't think you're going to be able to play at that level again. Mm. You've, you've chatted a lot about, like, the physical side of things. Mentally, how, how difficult is it being told you have to retire at such a young age as well? It's a weird one at that time because I'd, I'd, I'd went through that much physical rehab and, and mental rehab that I think, well, I don't think I know at the time. It was, it was, it was probably what I felt on that day. That didn't last for very long. It probably last for a week or maybe a month at the most. Was relief mm. because I, the uncertainty was the was, was the the killer really. The uncertainty of not knowing: Am I going to come back? Am I not going to come back? What, what you know, spending a, over a year and a half in the gym, in the physio room back and forth, watching the lads train, watching the lads win, watching the lads lose, being involved in the highs and lows from a, being in there as in body but not in spirit was 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 just, you know, it, it was. It was just a, I think it was a mental relief for me. It was almost like, it, in, it, it was, it was a relief of, well, I am where I am and it is what it is and I've almost been put on my misery. Mm. Obviously, you, we're going to chat more moving into management. So, about after I think it was about four or five years after you retired, you, you started to move into management. What were you doing during that time? And was it quite difficult coming to terms with everything? So, you've became a professional footballer. Um, you've played top flight. You've played championship for seven years. Um, you've went to do something completely different. What, what were you doing during that time before you moved into the management? Yeah, it, it, was, it was massive. You know, I think going back a little bit, you know, saying saying the relief. You know, the relief probably was probably prevalent for about a month, and then after that, it was like the rock bottom of the rock bottom, the deepest, darkest places you could ever imagine. Probably, yeah. you know, it 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 kicked in the reality of that. My boyhood dream, ninety nine point nine percent of boyhood dreams, being a Premier League Championship footballer that had been taken away from me at twenty four, twenty five years old, not even in the prime of my career, in and I probably spent 18 months of that in a real, real bad place. You know, um, split up with a long-term partner, almost become a recluse, um, drank a lot, um, just basically was was just, you know, it, it was it was horrific looking back. It was definitely 100% really cl- it was clinical depression at the time. But at the time, then... It was one of them things that wasn't as talked about as much. It wasn't them things that was ready available support. You know, unfortunately, through you know fantastic family and friends, uh, you know, I, I didn't go any further than, than than probably drinking a bit too much for a short period of time, and in and probably um, locking myself away from everyone for a long time. You know, and that and that was the that's what happened, and you know, and it was it was just. Um, it was probably meeting me, my current partner Danielle, that that we um, uh, was probably clicked us out of it really. That 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 um, that them days were, you know, the, didn't I think you don't realise until afterwards how how bad them days were. 
you know, there would there'd be weeks on end that I wouldn't speak to anyone. I wouldn't pick the phone up with mum and dad. I wouldn't answer the phone, you know, not want to be dramatic. I not want to be, but I remember there was one Christmas where I was by myself and I'd moved back to the northeast by this time. I was living in Durham and, and um, I didn't speak to anyone for over the Christmas period. Mum and dad were very worried about me and I sat at home having beans on toast for my Christmas dinner at home by myself. And that was that was where I was at, mm-hmm. you know. It, it, you know, no doubt drinking too much and and go and, and and it was just, you know, the original bit. I used to go out and be Jack the Lad to start with, the uh, boy around town, Newcastle, you know, being out, not going back home, staying out two or three nights in a hotel, not going home to get changed, literally going to a clothes shop, buying a new clothes for the next day to go out the following day without going home, you know, and staying in hotels, and then after that hit. The, being almost a recluse and couldn't face anyone, for, even family, even mum and dad and my sister, you know, would go weeks or months on end, even though I was probably 10, 15 miles away from them, to the point of they'd come to my house, wouldn't answer the door, wouldn't just just be just complete, you know, couldn't get out of bed, you know, couldn't get myself dressed in, in the morning, you know, and, and, and that went on for about 18 months. Um, and like I said, you know, I'm very, very fortunate that I've got very good family friends and, and met Danielle that that I sort of um, got out of that because you hear and you see no more than one of my heroes, Paul Gascoigne, the, the, the horrific things that he's been, um, that, that have happened to him and, you know, and the, the really, really tough time he's going through still 15, 20 years on from retiring from football. So you know, I was fortunate with that. And, you know, to go back to your question before, it was... Um, uh, after I finished it, I lived in Spain for a little bit. Lived in Spain for about a year. Had a friend out there, went out there, didn't really do much. Um, didn't have a job, just played a lot of golf, um, enjoyed myself. And then, um, like I said, met Danielle. And we renovated, we moved to Chester. Yeah. Uh, we renovated houses for two or three years, um, sold, uh, renovated houses, sold them, moved on, renovated the next one. And by, you know, 100%, I was happy then. I was happy. In this stage, I'd never, ever even thought about getting involved with football again. At that stage, I distested the sport. I couldn't stand it. I never used to watch games. Never used to speak about football. Couldn't watch football on TV. You know, at that point, it was um, it was something that, that, I, that I had no interest in at all. Yeah, so you had no interest, but you went into it. Um, look, you moved into management. You started with Airbus. Uh, for a few years, what was the change like from being a player to a coach? Was is is the difference quite big? Um, but then also, how have you, did you enjoy your time there? Because before, we'll move into TNS in a second, but yeah. that real ground in those like couple of years when you moved into management, how did you find the change? Yeah, I did. Well, originally, originally went into um, it was it was just a, a, a chance meeting with the actual Airbus manager at the time. He was a player manager at the time, and it was my 30th birthday, and, and Danielle, my partner, had organised a surprise 30th birthday for me, and she okay. was trying to get some type of um, band or to play at the party. Um, and Gareth and um, he, he's his good friend Chris, who played in a in a duet. What uh, Gareth played the guitar, Chris sung, and um, through a friend of a friend, they'd um, Danielle had spoke to them, and they'd come and played on the night. So Gareth Owen, who was a top, top player himself, played for Wrexham, he's a very good player, um, he was the player manager. Got taught to him on that night, too many drinks, um, 
<laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, whatever. I think uh, I, I'm not really interested in football. Um, and what had just happened then, I think he just lost his assistant manager. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, come on, come along, come and, you know, come and train with the lads. But, you know, we're, we're part-time, only train twice a week. You know, let it come along, you know, and I'm still playing and, you know, you can be a coach and this, that and the other. The lads would love it. And it was just like, nah, I'm not interested, not, you know. And then it got to, like, sort of late December and, and, and he still hadn't filled the vacancy. And, uh, and, I, and I went and had a coffee with Gareth and he offered us the job. And, and from then, then on, from the December through to the end of the season, I was assistant manager, stroke coach. You know, which was great because Gareth still played, and you know, and, and and I'd done the coaching and in the in the system manager, which was which was hard because it was a part-time club, it was a part-time yeah. a part-time player. So you look at it, and it's you know that the 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 lads have got family who are before you, they've got their main jobs who are before you. So in theory, you're third on the on the list, and lads are you know were training until probably six thirty, late thirty on a Tuesday and Thursday night. And bear in mind, these lads had probably been up early morning with the children, then being at work all day. And then me, knowing nothing but full-time football, was probably a bit too enthusiastic and a <laughs> bit edgy and a bit demanding for, for where I was at the time. And I struggled a little bit to start with. And I fell out with a few players. I probably <laughs> said a few things that shouldn't have been said because all my knowledge of football was full-time, top-level, where it had been my life. It had been my, my soul one and only concentration when I was in it and I was fortunate for that and it was and it was a tough transition yeah so you've, you've left there you've moved to the New Saints which in, in 2011 you were the, it was it's more full time with the New Saints isn't it it um, is full time yeah. yeah so just to say your stats before we, we go into it you've obviously won six titles in a row you've managed in the Champions League yeah. you've won four Welsh Cups yeah. I think it's three league cups as well. Three, three league cups, yeah. Three league cups. It just—it's absolutely insane what you've done at that time. You missed um, the world record as well. And oh yeah, and the forty—I was forty-five. <laughs> well, I was going to come to it, but you now you've said it. Um, been twenty-seven um, con- consecutive wins in, in top-level football, which is absurd. So when you first joined, and we're going to chat about culture and everything. Yeah, you said you were demanding at the old club. Is that something that you brought in straight away? Um, what is your, like, your manager ethos? Did you create a winning culture or a culture which is just really high professionalism from the start? You know, the, the, the history of um, TNS is is a good one anyway. You know, they've been a good team beforehand. You know, yep. they, they lost the league the year before to Bangor City. Um, in they they never dominated the way we did when I was there. You know, they'd won the league, then someone else had won the league, then it was shared about. A little bit more so. I think that, I think before that the most had won it was two or three years in a row. Um, but obviously when I went in there, it was uh, it, it was the opportunity. You know, I'd fell in love with football again. You yeah. know, that, that was the thing. I, and, I, and I was the one thing that drove me when I when I went back involved with football was the opportunity to 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 try and fulfil the longevity that I didn't as a player. Mm. It was something that I, every morning that I woke up and I went into every day that still now. Be, being assistant manager now is still um, still every day I'm involved with football. The drive is always and always has been, probably always will be. It's 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 tapered a little bit and it's moved in different directions, but it's all been driven originally from having to finish playing football at 25 um, yeah. with an injury. It's something that and it's something that I was big on with players. Something you know 
don't waste the training session, don't waste the day because you never know when it's going to end. Um, high standards, you know, everything was driven. And like you said, sometimes, you know, so I'm sure some of the players that have played for me along the way have said I'm maybe a bit too intense sometimes. And, and, you know, and, and I can certainly say from my point of view, I didn't enjoy the winning as much as what I should do because once I'd won one game, it was an hour and a half later, right, how can I win the next game? How am I going to make us better for training on Monday? Uh, how can I bring better players in? Who do we play the week after? Once we won one league or one cup, right, how am I going to win the next cup? How am I going to win the other one? You know, and probably from my point of view, I probably should have enjoyed it a bit more. But I was uh, by this time, I was back obsessed and completely focused 100% on trying to forge a, a coaching, stroke managing career for myself as, as a football. And like I said, hugely driven by being uh, having to retire at an early age. And that was probably... As much as it was a really good thing that I was driven and obsessed, you know, to the point of, you know, you all see rondos now, little squares, little boxes that people, you know, you do it before training, you know, but to the point of if someone was sloppy and that type of thing, I used to be on the back straight away, timekeeping, just everything I was, I was like, I don't think I was too intense and I don't think, it, because I wouldn't have got to where I got to. I think the only person or the only people that suffered from my intensity, certainly wasn't the players and football club I worked for, because I think I made them better. And I think I will make all players better and football clubs that I work with because of my intensity and demands of high standards. But I think the two people the two people that suffered was myself and my family, because I didn't enjoy it. I didn't, we didn't enjoy it as a family. I've got eight-year-old little girl now who my uh, partner was pregnant when we moved to TNS. So she come up through as being a young girl all the way through the TNS. You know, all she knew was winning trophies and titles and world records. That soon stopped at Hartlepool quite quickly. <laughs> she soon found out that wasn't the real world of football. But, but yeah, it was, um, it was probably the, the culture I had and the obsession I had with being the best I could be with every player, every member of staff, Everyone involved with me being better every day was something that I, I certainly think helped every footballer, every club, every staff member that worked with me. But but did it help me? It did help me because it is what I am, but it probably didn't enjoy it as much as everyone else did or, or probably should have. Is it kind of like, what next? Every every season, so you won the league, what? Okay, yeah. let's do it again. Yeah. And again and again and again and again. Yeah, to the point of I think we won two trebles in a row. Yeah. You know, and I think in that period we won two trebles in a row and broke a world record. You know, and, and I still, and I can guarantee you now, and you can speak to, you spoke to some of my players at the time, I would still not have been happy. Why? Because I, th I always think you can do better. You can always do better. It doesn't matter, you know, we could win the league by more points. We could win, we could concede less goals. We could score more goals. We could have um, a better youth system. We could have a better scout system. We could do better in Europe in the Champions League. We could, you know, there's always something we could have done better. I still believe that now, but and I'm still as obsessed with that now, but not to the detriment of myself and, and the close people around us. Do you believe in perfection in football? Uh, I don't think you can ever get perfection. That's why I don't think you never stop trying to get perfection. That's probably the bit. I, I don't. I don't believe in perfection. No, but I, I think it's. Um, there's no reason why you can't strive for perfection. And if you keep striving every every day, every training session, 
every day training, every week, every game for perfection, then you won't be far away. And maybe is that the holy grail that I look for that is not possible? You know, it, I don't know. But that's what probably makes me tick more than anything. As in, in anything, you know, in my current role at, the, at this moment in time, assistant manager, stroke first team coach, then, you know, it, it's exactly the same. You know, the manager's got his duties and all the rest of it. But I think one of the strengths that Andy Morrison, who's the manager where we are at this moment in time, Connors Key, one of the strengths he'd probably seen in me was his obsession and my work ethic and obsession with trying to be better from everything, standards of everything standards of conduct, standards of training, standards of just everything you can think of, we can be better at it. In the, the moment you think you can't, then the moment you might as well stop being involved with top-level football. Well, that looks like it's translated quite well at Connors Key. You know, you won the league this year, you've won the League Cup, um, you knocked Kilmarnock out of the Europa League as well. Can you see this translating as well to Connors Key as well? The, the results, what you did with TNS, yeah. are you going to translate that? Can you see the path already? Yeah, you'd like to think so. You know, I, I come in, you know, I had a short, I come obviously, uh, I've been in there for 18 months now. Um, and, you know, I just try and, and bring my experience of, of winning trophies to, to help as a full-time programme. Because there was only three years ago that Connorsky were a part-time team. Okay. You know, and they, they've evolved to a full-time team and they've been a full-time team for, for two, three seasons maximum now. I've been involved with 18 months now, 19 months. You know, and, and, and when I come in and joined Andy's staff, I, I think Andy was the just just basically the meeting me and Andy had was, you know, just give us everything you've got, you've experienced and all the things you've done previous to make us better than what we can. And, and my job is to support that and, and, and bring everything I can every day. And I think that's, um, you know, Andy's very, very much obsessed and, and, and um, no stone unturned. And um, does a fantastic job. So I think we're very, very like-minded. Got a real, real um, work ethic standards mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, I can imagine some of the players, um, certainly Connor Ski, thinking, you know, wow, you know, these two are very intense. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. There's, yeah. there's literally nothing wrong with that. We talked about your successes. You did go to Hartlepool and you beat Vanguard as well. Um, Hartlepool didn't really work out as much as you wanted it to. Um no. Why is that? Was the was the was it the intensity not there? Was it just was the club not? In, I know the club at the time wasn't in the right frame of mind. Anyway, yeah. it was struggling. They still are struggling now in the national yeah. league. Um, but why didn't it work out? I, I think um, I think time. I think you look at it, and you know, and I hope um, Dave. I know Dave quite well, and I hope Dave gets the opportunity to to be a manager at Hartlepool for not just one season or a season and a half. Or, two seasons, you know, I'd like to think it'd be four or five seasons so you can build something. It's certainly what I think, you know, uh, you, I think it's they've had something, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't got stats in front of me, but off the top of my head, they must have 12 or 13 managers in the last 10 years, if not more, if you include caretaker managers and, and so on and so forth. So, so you know, and the stability behind the scenes as well. You know that that that's the big one as well. You know, I, I went in there and you know, and I I remember going and and having the interview and, and got offered the job there and then. Um, in the the people in the interview were the chair lady, the owner, the recruitment um officer, and you know, and it was a really I, I must have interviewed really well. My staff spoke for myself. 
yes, it was in Welsh football, but it had been Champions League and stuff as well, and good experience and young. And they were looking for, I think, they're looking for something different. They were looking for a young manager that that had um, the drive and hunger, starting his career like I did, to hopefully try and go on a journey similar to what I had at TNS previously. And 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 it started off, you know. Started off reasonably, reasonably well pre-season, you know, brought a few players in. Some players were mine, some players weren't. We had a recruitment officer at the time, so all signs weren't mine. Um, then we started off the season, we didn't we didn't win a game for five games, which was tough, Actually, especially being relegated from the Football League the year before. I think everyone's expectation, including mine, you know, I was younger, I was probably a bit more naive. I was probably on the crest of a wave of winning lots of games at TNS and and, and I was fearless, and it was like we can win this league. We can go and get promoted. You know, it was only when you got inside and you seen what was going on behind the scenes that realistically, that we, you know, we, you know, you don't drive your car from reverse into fifth gear straight away because you stop. So that's probably one of the best analogies I can. You know, you 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 you, you slow it down. You stop from reverse. You get stopped. You go forward and you move forward in stages. So. And that, and that was, you know, just as much me. I was guilty of that as well because Hartlepool are a huge club in that league. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a reasonably good budget. I wouldn't say it was top three or four, but we certainly had a top eight budget. And, and you know, we recruited some good players and we had a good pre-season. Um, but I think it soon started... It, it didn't start very well games-wise. And, and we're, we're, I think we drew two, lost three, and we're, 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 I think we're fourth or fifth bottom then. We went on a real good run. I think we went 15 games unbeaten and we won nine of them. And mm-hmm. we were, I think we were probably three or four points from the playoff position, which was probably where we should have been at the time. And I remember it, clear as day. Uh, we're playing Halifax at home. We won 4-0. Um, we're on a good run at the time. I think we just needed... It, it was a... Tuesday night, and we're just probably if I had a one on the Saturday, we'd have got ourselves in the playoff positions. And the chair lady come to me and and um, saying, um, "Craig, could I have a word with you?" Obviously, at that time, I wasn't fearing for my job because mm-hmm. we're on a fantastic run. Um, we didn't quite have the conversation want had. It was too busy. She said, "Oh, are you in tomorrow?" Yes, players are off. Uh, I'll be in in the training ground preparing for the game on Saturday. Match analysis ready to present to the players who were playing against, so on and so forth, for training on Thursday. Uh, met her at the, play, at the training ground and she just said, look, Craig, the owner's pulled out his money. As from today, he's not spending another penny at this football club. That includes paying wages, that includes paying bills, that includes paying electric bills, laundry bills, um, supplies, everything. He is not putting one more penny into this football club. From now, and that was about that was the back end of November. Mm. Bearing in mind, I, 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 you know, I got manager of the month in November as well. So we were we were in a good place, and, and you know, and the lads were supposed to be paid that Friday. Um, so we had to tell the players after just winning four nil on the Tuesday, being in a real good place, that look, you're not getting paid on Friday. You'll get paid, but it won't be on Friday. Yeah. So from then on, it just escalated, and there's lots of questions. There's like you know, the you know the um, players want to know when they're getting paid. They've got families to look after, and um, players' wives texted me. Players had moved. Players' wives had moved 
the whole family with the players and giving up their job to be a one salary family because we're moving and they're looking to settle and look forward. You know, internet being cut off at the training ground, um, laundry kit, match day kit, home kit being kept by the laundrette because they owed them thousands of pounds because they hadn't paid the laundrette. Um, not staying overnight, travelling down to London. Uh, we travelled down to London on the day to play, um, I think it was Dagenham Redbridge, um, which which wasn't too bad. But, you know, we get there and we've got, we've got no equipment to warm up with. We've got cones, but we've not no bibs to put on. We've got no training jackets, the Vanarama blue jackets. We had none of that. You know, we're lending them off, off um, Dagenham Redbridge. We're playing in our weight kit when, you know, it wasn't a problem, but if we're weight kit had been there as well, then they wouldn't have, wouldn't have any kit to play with. So it was just things like that just, just escalated like that. And, you know, it was just, it, it was just, a, it was just embarrassing in the end. It was, it, you know, and I didn't really talk about it at the time because I didn't want excuses to be made. I wanted to get on with it. You know, the players were brilliant. Wouldn't have a bad word to say against the players. You know, they had some top professionals there, but, you know, they, they didn't not give the all, but subconsciously, if, if you're worried about it and you're thinking about it and you think, you know, and the other thing about it is, you know, we, we just we just went on a bad run after that, you know, and, and subconsciously players were given everything in training every week, but if you're not 100% there, yeah. it's going to show on a Saturday and, and the effort was there. You know, I, I, would, I would argue till the cows come home against anybody, um, including any Hartlepool supporters, that the effort was wasn't there. It was there. Every single player was given the effort. You know, it was just mentally, it was a tough place to be because they didn't know when they were going to get paid, if they were going to get paid, how they're going to get paid. Deferred half this week, half next week. You know, and at that level, it's not thousands of pounds. It's you know the lads haven't got savings where they can get through, including myself. You know, that was including me. Didn't get paid. You know, late payments and. Everything. It was just, I think, the whole uncertainty again, which I know from previous, from my injury, that the uncertainty is worse than knowing either way. Because if you know, if you know, you're just not going to get paid. You, look, you, you'll go and you speak to your bank about your mortgage. You'll speak to people that you've got payments to. You'll live your life accordingly. But if you don't know, then it's just mentally draining. And I think that was the biggest thing. You know, why the transfer embargo from November, which no one knew about which the owner didn't want anyone tell him because we didn't want the negativity in case someone come to buy the football club off him. You know, so yeah. that was kept under wraps so that, that that wasn't a case. You know, we couldn't bring any players in. And when that transfer embargo stayed, we had to, had to lose people like Jonathan Franks, who was on fire at the time, scored eight or nine goals because his contract was only till January. And Michael Ledger, who we got on loan from Sunderland, Keith Watson, who got on loan from um, St. Johnson, what a sell... Um, Nicky Devidex, so I let um, Liam Donnelly go because we get play money for the players. You know all these things on what the fans see and on what the the man on the street sees. And and, and I've not spoke about it. We're, we're nearly two years on now, and I've not spoke about it. And I've, I've been I've not wanted to speak about it. So I don't think it was professional. I didn't want to make excuses. Yes, I'll be the first one. And any anybody, I'll be the first one. There was things I done wrong, and I should have done better. I would never ever ever uh, duck that one. Of course there is. Like I spoke about before, you know, I strive to be as best as what I can. And yes, I made mistakes, but I think the majority of it was what was happening off the pitch. And I still believe to this day, if I, you know, if, if I hadn't left the club, you know, this w- there would have been in a, 
as good, if not a better position as what we are now because of the stability, the longevity, the 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 um everyone getting to know each other and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it was it was comical at times, some of the things that happened, you know, and, and and I'd been used to working for a club for six, seven years that, you know, never missed a bill, you know, everything was perfect, you know, everything you could ask for. You know, and it was a it was a big learning curve for me. It was a big you know, a big learning curve for me, and in, in, in was I, am I, in hindsight, uh, should, should I not have went, no, I'm, I'm glad I did, because I learned a lot of how not to run a football club, and how not to behave in a football environment, from from the nine months, ten months I was at Hartlepool. Mm-hmm. Just a quick question, why did why did you leave TNS at Hartlepool? Because I wanted to try and better myself, and yeah. it was, in, in, in my opinion, it was a step closer to, to be in to manage at the highest level I could, which which I'm, I'm no different than anyone else. I want to work in the Premier League, whether that's manager, coach, assistant manager, youth team coach, whatever it wants to be. I want to work with the best players in in the best league I can. I, I haven't spent seven eight years going through all my coaching badges to having a UEFA Pro license now, and I have had for three four years to then not have any ambition and want to go through and again the burn desire from from finishing football I just want to be the best I could you know and I still do at 42 years old a lot of my friends are just finishing playing two three years ago mm. I've been a manager and I've managed probably I think the stats are four or five hundred games by the time I'm 42 now and I've got a 60 70 percent win rates throughout yeah. so you know I've got a lot of experience in management in coaching so mm. it's it's something that I want to be the best I can. Yeah, yeah. No, obviously, recently you just signed a new deal with Connors Key. Yeah. Um, so until for another eighteen to eighteen months, two years now. Yes. Yeah. What's next? What's What's next for you? What's where you want to stay, Connors Key? Obviously, you probably will be now for the next eighteen months anyway. But what's next for you? What's the goals for you as a, as a manager? Um, where do you see yourself going? Well, I, th- I think. Um, you know, I really enjoy my role at Connors Key. It's a bit different with being assistant manager, um, first so first team coach. It, it's it's not right in amongst it. It's it's supporting the manager, but I've really enjoyed it because I enjoy. It's been different. You know, mm. I've enjoyed working on a more personal level with players. I've enjoyed being on the training pitch with full time players, young players. I want to get better. Um, doing individual training, doing you know unit training. In group training, it's it's something that I really enjoy. Where you know when you get up to up to managing, sometimes you step backwards a little bit because there's that much to do, and you need to have your distance from players. You can't, you know. And I've really enjoyed that, and it's something that I just want to keep um, supporting supporting the club and, and best I can to try and create or do as best as what I what I did at TNS and, and try and win the. And defend our title again and win more competitions, and you know, because that was certainly the the plan in the the ambition of when I sat down with Andy Morrison, sat down with Gary Dewhurst, who was the owner of Connorsky Football Club, eighteen months ago. The, the ambition in the was to come and go and knock TNS of being of being top dogs, and then the second thing is now can we can we create a big of a, a bit of a legacy. Of winning two or three titles, if not more, in more trophies and in more European football, Europa League, Champions League, you know, it's 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 quite um it's been quite a breath of fresh air fr- from myself 
after being so successful at, um, at TNS and then the strains of Hartlepool, then almost being involved with something halfway through a, a project mm. and, and say how far we can get. You know, don't get me wrong, I want to be a manager again. That's, you know, you know, I certainly do, you know, and I've still got the drive and the enthusiasm and something that I, I will definitely will be It's at some point. But at this moment in time, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. In the, in, and if the right club comes along, then they come along, you know, and I'll, I'll grasp that with two hands and I'll and I'll run with it. Being a being a better manager now, what I was coming off the back of a world record, mm. you know, the, the the heart, you know, I think it's 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 so true that you know I think Lenny Lawrence is on the um, FAW Pro License course, and, and Lenny's was a was a middle special. Yeah, Lenny was actually when I first made played my first schoolboy game. Lenny was the manager in Middlesbrough then. I wasn't saying that anything and I never had anything to do with Lenny, but Lenny was the manager then. And I, and I met him later on on my UEFA Pro Licence. Um, he was one of the tutors on it. And obviously Lenny's managed over a thousand games, so knowledgeable, been involved all levels of football. You know, and I think when it happened, Lenny said to me, well, you, you're a proper manager now. You're, never, you're not a proper manager unless you've been sacked. So it happens to everyone. It will happen to you again. You've just got to make sure that all that negativity you reflect and you become a better manager and person. And I think that I learned more in the 10 months I was at Hartlepool than I did the last three or four years at TNS. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, different, a different management, crisis management, um, how to deal with um, uh, five, 6,000 supporters uh, sometimes getting on your back, how to deflect from your team, how to look after your team, how to manage players in a tough period, how to get the best out of players. You know, all these things, you know, are managed so, so I've not wanted to sound big-headed or wanted to blow me on trumpet, but I've had a bit of everything. I've, I've, you know, I've got a lot more tools in my box now than what I did prior Hartlepool. As much as it was a negative, you, you said obviously you said it's like not not much of a negative time um, at Hartlepool. It was a difficult time. Yeah. Um, but for me, from listening to what you're saying there, it feels like. Hartlepool, it, it, sounds, it sounds crazy me saying this, but Hartlepool could be probably the best thing that happened to you as a manager. I think from what you've learned from that experience and what you can bring into now Connor's Key um, in future career job, well, career career, and obviously in your different jobs that you're going to be doing, I feel like you're going to be much better equipped now than than you were before when you were at TNS, um, which is actually unbelievable to see, to be fair. Yeah, no, it is, and, and, and it's good. You know, I have, and I think as a person as well, like we spoke about earlier about winning games, you know, I appreciate winning games now, and I and I appreciate the the hard work and the preparation that goes into them. I, I probably appreciate every little detail more. I appreciate you know players going above and beyond, and and I do I do I do appreciate and and, and enjoy winning games more. You know, like I said, at TNS going back there, you know, if we won. Two or three nil. Why didn't we win four nil? Why didn't we lose five? If we drew, it was like getting beat. You know, very rarely we got beat. It was like getting slaughtered five nil. Yeah. You know, that was the extremes of it. So, you know, in that, in in, in all honesty, that is not real football. You know, mm. most people, most people involved with football, will lose more games than what they win. Yeah. It's 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 fact. You know, some of the best managers out there are the, are the most long ones. With most longevity. 
people like Sam Allardyce and Steve Bruce and David Moyes, and, you know, and they're all fantastic managers. Brian Robson, you know, they they probably if you put their stats on the table, they've probably lost just as many as they've won. That's the reality. There's only the Peps, the Alex Ferguson's, you know, that 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 stand up there with with you know with fantastic stats like that. So so it is about how you bounce back from that. And what yeah. you learn from it. You learn a lot more, like I said, ten months I did at Hartlepool, I learned a lot more than I did two or three years at TNS. Yeah. Um, so we we'll, we'll want to wrap things up um, yeah. in just in terms of like a couple of questions before you go. Yeah. Um, who was the best player that you've managed so far? That I've managed. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Brubble. Yeah. Former yeah. Lad. Obviously, Ryan um, played for Middlesbrough youth team and, and come through and you know then played. I think he was at York and he was alone at Hartlepool as well. Yeah. You know, I signed Ryan from TNS for TNS and um, talent-wise, Ryan is uh, the best. Without a doubt. Yeah. And is there any players right now who you who are in the Welsh League that you could see probably playing the Football League or maybe Millsbury should be looking at as potential signing? Yeah, you know, I think I think that you know the, the Welsh Premier League gets doesn't get good enough coverage as what it should do. I think, you know, the standard is is a is a good standard. You know, I'd say that the top the top three or four, the top half of the table would, would more than hold their own in the in the National League. So over a period of time. Um, obviously, you've got European qualification. The winner of the league go into you know it's a twelve a twelve team league, and a quarter of the league goes into European football. Mm. Got the top team go to Champions League, and then three go into Europa League. And then you only have to look at our result last year against Kilmarnock. You know, over two legs beating Kilmarnock. You know, who finished third in the Scottish Champion uh, Scottish Premier League. Yeah. So you know, it, it, I think the biggest thing is that there's not a huge. There's not huge crowds coming to games, you know. It's probably six, seven hundred maximum, you know. So it's it's not very well supported, but as in bums on seats. But the standard is a lot better than what people think. There's been there's been six or seven players from from teams from TNS from Connors Key. You know, there's a, there's a lad called Reese Healy who now right. plays on Kate Dons. He's saying from um, he's saying from Connors Key. You know, there's the top goal scorer in the National League, Scott Quigley, who's I had him at TNS. You know, and and you look at Ryan Brobble played at Hartlepool, played at York. You know, there's certainly players out there. You know, there's there's, there's Colin Rawlinson who plays for Nottingham County, County. You know, Craig Jones went from TNS to be Berry captain when they were in League Two, League One. So there's there's plenty in there that are good enough to play um, National League, Stroke Football League, but. It, you know, it is just getting out there and having a look, and you know, and I think it's um, as much as it's European football, and I just think it's the it's not having huge crowds and huge followings that probably don't don't give it the the, the justice that it should do. Final two questions. Yep. Pick a five-a-side team from players yep. who you played with. Who would you pick? Played with. Well, I think probably the best goalkeeper I played with would be Mark Swarter. Yep, Swarter in there. Yeah. Um, defensive wise, you can uh, pick yourself. It's fine. No, yeah. no, no. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, no. Um, I would go Nigel Pearson. Yeah. Christian Ziga. Okay. Uh, then I would probably go Paul Merson. Mm. And actually, no. I'm only going to go one defender. 
Okay. I'm going to go Nigel Pearson. Sorry, Christian. Um, I'm going to put Paul Gascoigne in that boyhood hero. And I will. I've got to make a choice here between Ravinelli and Janino, which is a real tough one. Mm. Um, I'll probably go Ravinelli. Okay. Yeah, I feel like you've got a nice, got a nice fluidity in that team. It'd, it'd be yeah. tough. It... I've gone tactically as well a little bit. So, so you've got Mark Swarter, Nigel Pearson, Paul Merson, Paul Gascoigne, Ravinelli. Yeah, two. You've got two creative players, and they you didn't need Janino really. Yeah. Can, can I have subs? You can have. You can have a couple of subs. It's, uh, subs would be Janino and um, I don't think I can I would have to put with a big shout between Andy Townsend and, and Emerson I'm going to go Andy Townsend Okay, fine, I, I won't question why we'll leave that to people uh, who will listen to the podcast and probably tweet you afterwards and say why have you left them out but that, that, it's just a personal, you know, fortunately there's a couple of times when I played um when I played when I made my debut in the championship, Andy played left midfield and I played left back. Interesting. Okay, so one final question. For anyone that's going into football, either manager or player, yeah. What what's the one piece of advice you'd give them? Hard work. Yeah, that's it. Hard work. That that that, that you know, dedication, hard work. That would be the That'd be the you know that'd be the only thing you know you see the quote I think it was Alex Ferguson the famous quote you know hard work beats talent when mm. talent doesn't work hard it it couldn't it, it that that alone says everything perfect okay Craig that's pretty much it so oh, um, sorry to bore you all morning you got, sorry sorry to bore you all morning you got to split it up into two or three <laughs> to be honest mate I've I've really enjoyed that. It was it's really good in depth in us about your career, but also the mental side of things, going into management and that relentlessness is is valuable. Um, and I think it's something that not many people are going to see uh, or, have, or haven't seen in the past and yeah. they don't understand um, in football. I feel like sometimes as fans, you think that players can just switch it on and they can't. Um, you, you don't see the mental side of football. You don't see the hard work that goes into it. You don't see what, what's next. And I think we've, what you've done there is you've given really good light on that. Yeah. Um, so pretty much just to round things off, as always, guys, like, share, subscribe to Borough Breakdown channel. Uh, give us five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps us get found by other Borough fans and helps us go in the charts as well. We've been charted quite a few times this year, but obviously we want to get charted again. So if you can do that, perfect. Craig, where can they find you? What's your Twitter handle? What's Facebook and stuff like that? I don't know. I'm not on Facebook <laughs> and I don't know what my Twitter handle is. So I apologize for that. I'll leave that up to you to do I'll, your I'll put that. I'll put it in there, but that's I'm pretty on much Instagram it. Instagram and I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Facebook. And just before you go, I'd just like to say as well that um, I'm I'm a big advocate of making sure mental health is and well-being is prevalent in football and the community. So I've obviously been through a lot myself, and anybody on Twitter, Instagram wants to get in touch with me, uh, that's fine. You know, I'm there if anyone needs to speak to anybody. I'm there to support people because. You know, that's in, in general life or in in sport. I know how it is and, I, and I've been to some dark places myself. And if I can help one person, it'd be fantastic. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good way to end on. Uh, Craig, thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate that. No problem. Thanks, John. Take care, mate. I want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Coming alive again. 
Janino wants the ball played to him. Abinelli spots out. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.